Amazon where they spent $4.3 million just on fucking lawyers <laughs> to bust the union. It really highlights the power of rank and file worker-led organizing. I always used to joke that my pets were like file grievances against me and stuff. So that's my humor. Anyway. My, yeah. <laughs> yeah, do your cats file grievances enough. against me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I don't yeah. feed them enough. Yeah. Even though I yeah. do, they just don't See, think I do. Sadly enough, I know people from Rochester who were at the Capitol on January 6th, you know, really expressing their anger and frustration. And that's what we have to change. And I really believe collective bargaining rights is so essential for how we actually change that reality for workers and how we build a more healthy democracy moving forward. There's not enough yelling or name calling anymore. You know, heck, even hazing's gone away. So, you know, I said enough's enough and I decided to change that. Condé Nast, which publishes magazines such as Vanity Fair, Vogue, and Bon Appetit, immediately recognized the union and signed the first contract. What about outside of school? Mm -hmm. Family? Mm -hmm. Close friends who are mm -hmm. not teachers? I don't have any. You're, you're, I have no close friends that are not teachers. You're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. On today's show, the Work Stoppage Podcast gets down to the nitty-gritty of how a handful of workers defeated the world's richest man and organized the first Amazon warehouse. And on the CubeCast podcast from our friends north of the border, Canada, that is, organizing news from PetSmart and Staples. Empathy Media Labs talks with Sarita Gupta and Erica Smiley about their brand new book, The Future We Need. Then, we've got two pieces I think you'll really enjoy. One is from Grit Nation, the other from my own Union City Radio. Let's just say they prove that the labor movement does indeed have a sense of humor. And we wrap up this week with the voice of Kira Fobbs, an elementary school teacher in Madison, Wisconsin, on the America Works podcast. I'm Chris Garlock, and that's all ahead on today's selection of highlights from the nearly 150 shows in the Labor Radio Podcast Network. If you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, you'll find links to the entire programs in our show notes, and of course, you can find all 150 shows on our website, that's at laborradionetwork.org. Here's the show. Anyway, uh, <laughs> should I intro the show now? No, don't do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I mean, but yeah, actually. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Damn, what a vicious fake out. <laughs> yeah, incredible. <laughs> stoppage this is the 99th episode of the show so you're not gonna we get did it folks an ex we did well, it not quite is it 100 the <laughs> wouldn't that be because i don't want to do the long intro on this there's so much stuff to get to in the largest <laughs> union victory since the 1960s we mm -hmm. have jfk 8 organized 
by the Amazon Labor Union, uh, Chris Smalls, and, and all of the, or, the worker organizers within the Amazon Labor Union won their election. Like, I, I you know, I, I'm still riding high on this victory with the oh, nearly, what, it, it was over 500 votes in favor of the union, which was 20, uh, 2,654 votes for the union, and then 2,131 votes against. That is a 55% to 45% vote. 10% margin in favor of the union. Holy shit. Yeah, it's fucking huge. And a union led by a guy who was fucking fired by the company two years ago. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I'll be totally honest here. Like, I, I, we've always tried to, you know, we try and have that revolutionary optimism on the show as much as possible. I didn't think that ALU was going to pull it off. I Like, to, to be completely honest, just because, the, you know, they're brand new. They're totally independent. They didn't have that back, like the even the backing, just the legal backing of a, a major union mm-hmm. up against the most sophisticated, most expensive, most well-resourced anti-union campaign you can fucking buy with Amazon, where they spent $4.3 million just on fucking l- lawyers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to bust the union that doesn't even count all the propaganda all the fucking marketing and shit they were doing millions of dollars just to stop this union busting campaign so i i, I was i you know i was hoping but not particularly optimistic and i have very rarely in my life been so happy to be completely fucking wrong <laughs> that's like truly fucking incredible i mean i'm just gonna say it david and goliath you know, <laughs> yeah, no, a- absolutely. You know, it really highlights the power of rank and file worker led organizing. And uh, I mean, I think another thing is a, that's a testament to that is uh, using some of the tactics that we really try to highlight here when we're going over the most effective ways of organizing is like you said, it's a rank and file movement. But even uh, one of the worker organizers was saying that they used a specific text from Communist Party organizer uh, William Z. Foster uh, called Organizing Methods in the Steel Industry, which is a very old book, but mm-hmm. somehow, oh, it actually really applies today. It's almost like class interest is very similar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, we, we've talked about before, like, especially if folks have listened to our recent series on the decline of the U.S. labor movement, what, how big of a blow the purge of communist organizers from like the CIO and other major labor federations in the United States was during the Red Scare and how much that hamstrung unions. And now you have the biggest fucking win (laughs) in private industry organizing in the U S in half a century. And there's a bunch of communists and anarchists and socialists and leftists who wouldn't be near the leadership of any major union federation. And they're at the fucking head of it because, again, a class-based organizing process works. Yeah. Well, and that very same ALU organizer, Justine Medina, talking a little bit about the actual organizing strategy that they used, she said stuff that, you know, it sounds pretty fucking communist. It sound, it, she said, do not be afraid to fight, to get as dirty as the bosses will, to match or beat the energy they're bringing. Do not be afraid to agitate and to antagonize the bosses as a union should. Use every tool in your toolbox, file those unfair labor practice charges every chance you get, protest and do collective action keep building and that's like shit that's exactly what we say on this fucking show because it couldn't fucking be more right (laughs) i mean yeah yeah. 
the structure Militancy. of labor hasn't changed. So the same tool, these tools from the 1930s will fucking work if you just use them. Follow the podcast at Work Stoppage Pod. As always, and as has been demonstrated by the awesome workers at Amazon, labor peace is not in our interest. Solidarity forever. Solidarity, Solidarity everybody. One little sister runs so fast to see skinning on a knee. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of CupyCast. Are you hoping to learn more about unions or progressive movements? Then you're in the right spot. I'm Brittany Nisbet, she, her pronouns. And I'm Tiffany Balducci, she, her pronouns, reminding you that we're the only podcast of our kind, combining union info, pop culture, and more. Kicking ass for the working class, one podcast at a time. So in this episode, we'll look at some ongoing union drives and catch up on fun pop culture labor movement tidbits. Mm-hmm. I want to tie in, like, as animal lovers, I know that uh, some folks are the folks who are listening who are animal lovers. You all can appreciate this one. But a PetSmart location in Toronto has unionized. Yes, that's I love this one. Yeah, you can actually follow them on Twitter at PetSmartUnion. And they tweeted, over the course of the pandemic, we've worked tirelessly to preserve PetSmart profit through lockdowns, store outbreaks, skeleton crews, and laughable wages. Now your local North York PetSmart is fighting for themselves with a little solidarity fist emoji. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that emoji. Yes. It's one of my most used. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, well, so just so you folks know, they have joined the United Food and Commercial Workers uh, Canadian Labor Union, and they are actually the very first ever PetSmart to join a union. So congrats to them. Yes, if you're in the area, stop by and tell them how excited you are for them for being unionized now. It's so good. Um, and maybe maybe the pets are next to form their own union. <laughs> Just kidding. Ooh. Anyway, yeah. I always used to joke that my pets were like file grievances against me and stuff. So that's my humor. Anyway. My, yeah. My <laughs> yeah, your, your cats file grievances enough. against you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I don't yeah. feed them enough. Yeah. Even though I yeah. do, <laughs> they just don't See, think I do. <laughs> C-A-T, local 222 or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And on the subject of other uh, maybe unlikely places that you didn't realize are working to form a union, but we I think we talked about this one before. Um, Staples yeah. is still working to unionize. And I oh, can't remember. Come on, but Staples. Didn't you used to work for them, Brittany? Didn't we talk about that? I did. I did. Yeah, yeah we talked about it in the last episode. When I, it was yeah. like one of my first jobs out of high school, and it was ridiculous. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, if you listened to our last episode, you'll remember they. Uh, I went away to a camp because I'm still in high school, so I'm still high school age, and you know you go to teen camps. And my parents wanted me to stay for like an extra week because it was a just an opportunity that I had. And Staples was like, "No, you need to come in and work your four hour shift." And I was like, "I quit. Like I'm in the states. Like I'm not coming home." <laughs> yeah. So yeah. super excited to hear that they are working to unionize. So best of luck to them and like all the power. Definitely, for sure. Um, and what I like, their union drive, um, which you can visit uh, on on. They have a, a website, uh, which oh, yeah, we'll put yeah, yeah. in the in the show notes. But uh, there's so much information from Reddit posts to 
to relevant TikToks, and it's at staplesunion.ca. And actually, one of their posts made the front page of, Re- of Reddit. Uh, really? And yeah, it did. Yeah, and it That's stated so cool. that their you know goal is to organize uh, workers to end stagnant pay and understaffing and COVID cover-ups um, and Ooh. mental health ignorance and to end limited or no breaks due to understaffing. Wow. Yeah, they definitely, I mean, like having worked there, I can tell you that uh, the mental health ignorance, the uh, stagnant pay, I mean, I didn't work there during COVID, but the limited or no breaks due to understaffing, that makes sense too. So yeah, I, we totally wish them all of the success in their drive. So um, really thank you to our listeners that feel free to always send us a note if you'd like. And if, especially if you have future podcast ideas or, or yeah. any feedback or want to let us know why you love the labor movement or why you, uh, you know, one of the pop culture references, maybe we missed, uh, you can email us at info at We appreciate all of your support so that we can create these monthly episodes. Sending solidarity. Today I'm speaking with Sarita Gupta and Erica Smiley about their new book, The Future We Need, Organizing for a Better Democracy in the 21st Century, that weaves together stories of real working people and the struggle to build collective bargaining power as a central element in the effort to build a healthy democracy. Smiley, you write about your journey into labor organizing and how you felt at the beginning like an imposter in the movement. Could you talk about your process of becoming a labor organizer and some of the problems of this othering that happens within labor unions, which is one of the many mentalities and cultural behaviors keeping the ranks of organized labor small. Yeah, and I'm so glad we're starting with this because it really is the the crux of of the intervention that Sharita and I are trying to make with this. So yeah, it's true. So I originally grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina, and North Carolina has one of the lowest union membership levels in the country, if not the lowest. But at the same time, I grew up around people who were in active collective struggle. As I uh, became more acquainted with the the broader movement, I realized that this is something that all people should have, particularly that my people, Southern Black people should have in order to live dignified lives, in order to be fully integrated into this thing we like to call democracy. Something to say about collective bargaining being a pathway towards democracy, being a pathway towards the majority of people being able to engage in everyday decision making, that that's not just a political project that happens once a year when we vote, but that that's a daily practice that should happen both in the context of civil society as well as in our workplaces. And so despite all the othering and the experience that I had of some organizational leaders, you know, questioning my credibility as a labor leader and all that kind of stuff. I actually found myself through my own process pretty transformed and and so clear that this is where I need to be as a Southerner and as a Black person. I think about the struggle of formerly enslaved people when they walked off the plantation. I think about the Reconstruction Amendments that ultimately started to attempt to point us in the direction of society into a multiracial democracy. And all of our efforts, whether it's the New Deal, the Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act, they're building on that framework, but we're far from done. And we can't just see this as a siloed issue of union rights or civil rights allies or women's rights allies, but that 
at the core of being able to build a healthy democracy is a, a fairly clear, united movement to ultimately expand the majority's participation in decision making. And collective bargaining is clearly the pathway of, uh, towards that in the economic arena. And Sarita, you share your experience growing up in Rochester, the beginning of deindustrialization. I'm from Cleveland, lived in Chicago, grew up in Michigan. And so I saw a lot of the deindustrialization and how that was often used to split and divide people as well. And could you talk a little bit about your experience growing up and how you found your voice and how it radicalized you into getting into this movement? My family immigrated to Rochester, New York in 1975, and we were one of the early Indian families in the area. And really, we immigrated largely because there was a shortage of physicians in rural towns in the U.S. So immigration doors had been opened up. So when the layoffs began in 1983 and then onwards, we really saw a decline in my neighborhood. I lived one town over from Kodak Park, which was the industrial facility. And I watched how devastating that was for families. I mean, just to give numbers here, at the height, Kodak had 60,000 employees in Rochester. Today, 4,500 workers. I mean, that is a serious decline. And just watched families like my friends really struggle to maintain a middle-class life. And actually, at a really young age, I just could not make meaning of how is it possible that there could be people who have families, generations have built this major company, and all of a sudden, they've lost everything. And that really early on planted for me, something's got to change here, how important collective bargaining rights is, how important a voice and agency is. But the other thing, Evan, that has become clear to me as I've gotten older is, you know, I've watched Facebook feeds of some of my friends from school, how easy it was for them throughout my childhood to scapegoat. That, you know, the reason this was happening was because of immigrants and because of people of color taking jobs and opportunities away and how easy it was for them to decide that they couldn't trust the government, they couldn't trust employers. And in fact, sadly enough, I know people from Rochester who were at the Capitol on January 6th, you know, really expressing their anger and frustration. And that's what we have to change. And I really believe collective bargaining rights is so essential for how we actually change that reality for workers and how we build a more healthy democracy moving forward. Well, I really appreciate all that you're doing. And I want to thank you for writing a great book and all the work that you're doing for fighting for a better world. So everyone should go out and buy their copy of The Future We Need, Organizing for a Better Democracy in the 21st Century from Cornell University Press. And this concludes Empathy Media Lab's Harmony of Interest book talks. And always remember, labor, solidarity forever. The Grit Nation. I'm Joe Cadwell, the host of the show. And in this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with job site foreman, self-taught communication expert, and author of two books on construction leadership, Brian Lousy. Brian landed on the literary scene with a thud in early 2016 with his book, A Mind Reader's Guide to Supervision, in which he introduced the practice of managing construction projects by intentionally holding back production goals and expectations from his crews. 
In his book, Brian promoted a supervisory style that required workers to use their ability to mind read or guess what their foreman or supervisor's thoughts were in order to get their work done. Now, after selling nearly a half a dozen copies, he's back with his second work titled, Get or Did Dummy, A Guide to Leadership the Lousy Way. In Get or Did Dummy, Brian again introduces a unique and unconventional style of leadership by claiming that a crew's loyalty and respect can be achieved by using his hazing, belittling, and dismissive behavior techniques taught in his book. Brian Lousy, welcome to Grit Nation. Hang on a second there, Jim. I gotta put in a fresh dip. Uh, yeah, sure, no worries, Brian. Uh, and by the way, it's uh, Joe. Oh, yeah, sure, whatever. You ready to get this thing going or what? Yeah, yeah, you betcha, Brian. So uh, again, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show today. I'm really excited to talk with you about your books and the new leadership program you've started. I understand you developed it to mirror your own experiences in the trades. So what can you tell our listeners about why you started Lousy Leadership? Well, John, it's, uh, hey, uh, hey, Brian, it's it's Joe. Oh, okay. Sorry. So Joe, it's like this. You know, over the past 30 years, I gained a lot of experience in construction I saw the industry change dramatically in my time. Opportunities opened up for all sorts of people to make a decent living doing what they loved. Yeah, I agree. It's a totally different world than when we started. Yeah, it is. Some of it's good. Some of it's not so good. You know what I mean? But with all that change, you know, some things just didn't need to change. Really? Like what? It's the way they're treating each other out on the job. They're just not giving each other enough crap nowadays. There's not enough yelling or name calling anymore. You know, heck, even hazing's gone away. So, you know, I said enough's enough, and I decided to change that. And that's why you started the Brian Lousy Leadership Program? Yeah, sure it is. You see, there's a lot of programs out there that claim to teach leadership, but none of them teach you what it's like in the real world. You know, these other programs want you to teach communication and collaboration and blah, 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 but not mine. Brian Lousy teaches leadership the lousy way. Well, that's an interesting point you got there, Brian. Um, You know, it pretty much goes against the grain of modern day leadership philosophy, though philosophy. You see, that's the problem. The nice thing about my program is there's no philosophy. You either figure it out or I find someone else who can. In the real world, we don't philosophize. We point, we grunt, and we expect people to catch on. It's that simple. That sounds kind of like the premise of your first book, The Mind Reader's Guide to Supervision. Yeah, it sure is. You know, I wrote that book to counter what I felt was going wrong in the industry. Gotcha. A rebuttal to clear, concise, respectful communication and leadership. That's interesting. I think maybe it had too many words. Yeah, okay. So uh, so now let's get into your second book, Get or Did Dummy. This book definitely took a different direction from the norm. Uh, why did you write a follow-up book, and where did you do your research for this one? There's no research. It's like philosophy. I wanted to create a book that drew up on my experience of what it was like when I was coming up in the trades. You know, people treated me like crap. I remembered that, and I wrote it down. All right, that's interesting. So go on. You see, I learned the hard way from some real hard asses. You know, four men who didn't give two hoots if you caught on or not. You know, like I said earlier, I had to keep up or they'd find someone else who would. Get or did is my attempt to pass down that kind of knowledge. It's not this kumbaya nonsense. Hey, Brian, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. Uh, I mean, sure, a lot has changed in the trades over the years, but I think one of the most significant shifts has been the attention given towards developing real leaders. People could not only get the job done, but are good at communicating and motivating their people. I hate to say it, but your book seems to be perpetuating some pretty old school attitudes. Ah, bullpucky. You know, I checked out those other programs. 212, Lead Gently, Stir Fry, Breslin. None of them made any sense. There's too many words. There's not enough real action. 
Well, you do got a point there. I mean, most communication training does use a lot of words. It's kind of the point. I mean, how we use words can be the difference between building someone up or tearing them down. Exactly. That's why I try not to use them. You know, I'll let you know what I'm thinking when I'm good and ready. You screw up, you're going to know about it. Yeah, I, I kind of get that from looking through your book. I mean, seriously, here's a picture of you yelling at a fence post. What's that about? Oh, that's me practicing vocal projection. Lousy leadership relies heavily on your pipes. I believe the louder you get, the more respect you get. And that's pretty much the core of my program. Yelling is the core of your program. Yeah, it, it works great. Man, once again... I hate to say it, I'm going to disagree with you. I mean, seriously, I've worked with a lot of folks whose default was yelling. It's never helped. It's always made things a lot worse. Brian Lousy, this has been a fantastic conversation. I want to thank you for taking your time to be on the show. And for everyone who's listening, happy Happy April Fool's Day. Day. My guest today has been Brian Lousy, author of Get or Did Dummy, A Guide to Lousy Leadership. For more information about leadership strategies that actually work or martial arts instructors near you, be sure to visit the show notes for this episode. You can also visit the Grit Nation website at www.gritnationpodcast.com. That's gritnationpodcast.com. Welcome to Union City Radio for Friday, April 1st. More than 500 workers at iconic magazine publisher Condé Nast on Tuesday asked for voluntary recognition to form a union with the News Guild of New York, CWA. Condé Nast, which publishes magazines such as Vanity Fair, Vogue, and Bon Appetit, immediately recognized the union and signed the first contract. Sorry, April Fool's. The workers did organize, but Condé Nast has not yet recognized their union. No joking, you can sign a petition demanding that Condé Nast recognize the union and begin bargaining a fair contract without delay on our website, dclabor.org. On today's Labor Calendar, working for the common good at the bargaining table and beyond, online today, at 11 a.m. For complete details, go to dclabor.org and click on Calendar. Today's labor quote is by Vanity Fair web producer Jamie Archer, who told the Washington Post, if Condé wants to attract the best talent in the business, they have to stop relying on prestige and provide equitable pay and benefits. In today's labor history, on this date and 1963, the longest newspaper strike in U.S. history, 114 days, ended in New York City. Workers at nine newspapers were involved. Union City Radio is supported by our friends at Union Plus. You can find out more at unionplus.org. This has been Chris Garlock. See you on the line. And that's no joke. From the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. Welcome to America Works. 
Interviews with contemporary workers throughout the United States, collected by the library's American Folklife Center as part of its Occupational Folklife Project. This is AFC staff folklorist Nancy Gross, and this America Works podcast features excerpts from a longer interview with elementary school teacher Kira Fobbs, who has devoted her life to teaching third and fourth graders and special ed students in the schools of Madison, Wisconsin. What motivated you, inspired you to become a teacher? Oh, wow. That is a really good question. Um, Well, I spent most of my college career uh, studying to be a lawyer. And um, I actually got to law school, got to that point, and and realized that... um, my goal in life was to help change uh, the world, essentially. I, my mom always accused me of uh, wanting to be Martin Luther King. And I guess in, in some sense I, I did. I wanted to bring about justice and um, eradicate racism and sexism and homophobia. Uh, but when I got to, to the law school phase, um, I recognized that uh, lawyers don't really have a lot of impetus in that area. And so um, I figured that if I really wanted to have that kind of effect, that I would have to become a teacher because the teachers are the ones that actually assimilate our citizens into our culture. If I wanted to change what our culture was, I have to change the kids. And so that's how I ended up being a teacher. So I'm, I'm, I might class is primarily African-American. I have three Hispanic students. I have 18 students total, three Hispanic students, two, no, three Caucasian students, and the rest are African-American. So um, I spend a great deal of time trying to find out what is really uh, motivating for them, uh, what is going to engage them. And then I try to craft something that is going to be engaging for them based on those needs. So it's very, very student-centered, very um, um, very responsive. I think it's really, really important that you know what's going on in your kids' lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to basketball games. I go to football games. I go to volleyball games. I go to soccer games. I, sh- I shop in the stores in the neighborhood. Um, I walk the neighborhood regularly. We have mm-hmm. a... Um, I, uh, if I have any problems with students, I will walk them home after school because um, I want their parents to know that I'm uh, I'm involved in their life and that um, I'm willing to go the extra mile to make sure that they're on the right track. What about outside of school, mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. close friends who are mm-hmm. not teachers? I don't have any. They're, you're, you're, I have no close friends that are not teachers. So, so your discourse is always about teaching. Mm-hmm. And with the with the exception of my spouse, I yeah. everybody that I care about is a teacher. Even yeah. my mother. I think that good teaching is is student centered. If if I walk into my classroom and I see my students engaging in. Uh, collaborative discussion about something that they're very interested in. I believe that that's good teaching. I think that a lot of people, a lot of older people, have this vision of school as being this very quiet, uh, orderly place. 
And my experience of good teaching is it's loud. It's, it's, uh, it's chattery, it's uh, active, it's um, kinetic. There are lots of things that help me survive, but the, the greatest thing is that um, I, when I was in, in fourth grade, third and fourth grade, um, I would go to or go out to recess and then I would hide under my coat under the stairs outside at recess because I was bullied and beaten up on a very regular basis because I was half black and half white. 1965, that was not heard of. And I couldn't talk to anybody but my parents about it. And what keeps me going in education is that that never happens to any child ever again. Um, and that, that's really my mission in life. That what, what keeps me going in teaching is a mission that says I'm, I am going to change this. I, I will work every day, sun up to sundown, till I put my head on that pillow at night to change that so that no, no child ever has to feel that pain ever again. That's, that's really what keeps me going. You've been listening to Madison, Wisconsin teacher Kira Fobbs, who was interviewed for America Works by Mark Wagler, a member of a team of folklorists interviewing classroom teachers throughout Wisconsin as part of the American Folklife Center's Occupational Folklife Project. Hey, that's it for this edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, our roundup of highlights from just a few of the nearly 150 Labor Radio shows and podcasts that make up the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Remember, we've got links to all the shows you heard today in the show notes for this podcast. You'll find all the network shows at laborradionetwork.org. We just did a refresh. Hope you like it. Let us know. You can also find the shows by using the hashtag laborradiopod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Labor Radio Podcast Weekly was edited by Patrick Dixon and Mel Smith. I produce the show and our social media guru, as always, is Mr. Harold Phillips. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Labor Radio Net. You can find out more on our website at laborradionetwork.org. For Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock. Stay active and stay tuned to your local labor radio podcast show.